Steph, hello. Hi, Max. Hi. So another bird, another bird episode. Um, this time we're chatting with Tanya Robinson, who um, at the time of recording this interview was the head of diversity and inclusion at Her Majesty's Prison and Probation Service, which is a mouthful to say um, at the prison system here in the UK. Yeah, I mean, Her Majesty, it sounds very fancy. I thought it was a really interesting discussion to speak to someone who is working inside the prison systems in a job role uh, of trying to essentially change things for the better and what that means. She has some really interesting points about, you know, how as society shifts, so does the prison population uh, and how both essentially reflect each other. Um, she also speaks about the importance of understanding where people are coming from when they come into the prison and trying to help set them up for success and to understand where they're going when they leave. So it was definitely a lot of points that I personally hadn't really thought about uh, and stuff that I would like to do some more reading on. Yeah, totally. I mean, this was like a real nice glimpse into that world, you know, a world that we're very unfamiliar with. Um, had I had more time, definitely would have probed Tanya about some of the stuff that she talked about. But I think the biggest takeaway for me was just this awareness of how much is involved in helping somebody throughout their course of their life, like even personally, but specifically someone who's been in, in the prison system, who has come out and perhaps gone back to the environment they were in uh, before they were, before they went away. And um, you know, what choices are available to them in that environment. And if there's somebody there to sort of support them and shift their direction, when they, you know, who's there at that next junction, who's there to support them. And, and it does require sort of somebody kind of along that path to continue that new journey, because it can be so easy to sort of hit a wall and then find yourself back where you were, where you began. Yeah, definitely. She speaks a lot about the importance of, you know, everybody, not a single person has got to where they are today in any sort of positive way without the help of someone else. Um, and I look back on everything I've done, even small choices. I've always had somebody to facilitate or help me or offer advice. And it really made me think about all the little things that have, you know, got each person to where they are and the importance of having you know, a village or a network around you. I think the core of this interview for me was uh, choice and the lack of availability of choice or the abundance of choice. Uh, she also did a, work, uh, a lot of work and continues to do so um, in her charity that supports sex workers based in East London. And she tells a few stories of some of the women she knew that there and their lack of choice or knowing what they're what choice they have based on their experience. And yeah, I think that was just really eye-opening to hear that perspective. Yeah, definitely. Give it a listen. It really sparked a lot of questions for me and things that I wanted to learn more about. Definitely. So yeah, let's get straight to the interview. But before we do, just you know, a quick word from our ritual sponsor. Yes, yes, it's, um, you know, we're coming up to the holiday season and especially a lockdown holiday season. I'm probably going to be drinking a lot more wine and eating a lot more dessert than I might usually, <laughs> especially without, you know, a lot of other people to, to watch me do it. So the idea of having one multivitamin, something little that's good for me every day makes me feel like I'm just, I'm on top of things in the smallest possible way. Yeah, look, maybe you'll think twice about popping that candy cane and, and, and reach for your multivitamin instead. Or both. Both is good. <laughs> Balance. Um, so to all our ritual listeners out in the States, um, you can get 10% off your first three-month subscription. Um, so head over to ritual.com forward slash bird. Yes, that is ritual.com forward slash bird to start your ritual today. Thank you. 
What is your like spiel? So if you're at a party or you're meeting somebody you don't know and they're like, oh, hi Tanya, what do you do? What's your sort of go-to? Um, what is my go-to? So I suppose it depends on the party and it depends on, on, on who it is. Um, in some environments, I prefer to speak more about the charity work that I do. Um, in others, when it's more of a formal type setting or... Yeah, whatever. I, I will say that I work for the Prison and Probation Service. Um, and then people are generally intrigued by that because they're like, oh, oh, so you work with prisoners. You work with dangerous people. Um, and I'm like, well, not directly. I used to work directly. I used to be a probation officer. Um, and I loved that work. I really enjoyed that work because you're dealing with people on a one-to-one. -one, and when you can actually see somebody's life turn around. It's just so fulfilling. Um, but actually, there's not much scope in terms of promotion and where you can go with that. And probation officers don't get paid a lot of money. Um, so I'm currently the head of diversity and inclusion for prisons and probation in England and Wales. Wow, that sounds amazing. Like, sounds really big. Like, you're covering a lot of stuff. The country, yeah, so there's, over, well, on any given day, there's about 105 prisons. Um, what do you mean on any given well, day? Well, <laughs> some are closing and some okay. are opening, and it's this, you know, I, I tend to get different numbers on... on um, and, some, and, and we have private prisons as well. well what uh, does that mean? But I don't mean? cover the private okay. prisons. So private prisons are run by uh, uh, private companies like Sodexo or... Um, and they, and they, they, yeah, they provide the same services, but we contract that service out. Interesting. To, but I don't cover the, the DNI for, for those prisons. Um, and so what my role covers is looking at, I also lead on, uh, David Lammy did a review of the criminal justice system. Yeah. Um, and uh, the report came out in 2017. And it looked at disparity in outcomes for BAME prisoners. Uh, or BAME people within the criminal justice system, but the recommendations that I oversee relate to prisons. Um, so I'm the director of that programme as well. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think when people think of DNI, when I thought of DNI before I came into it, I kind of was like, it's this tick box thing that, mm. that organisations have. When I first came into the role, it was equalities. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like, you know... People don't necessarily understand that it is about decency for all. Mm. Um, they think it's, you know, I've got this legislation, so I've got to adhere to it. There's the public sector equality duty, so I have to ensure that I've got these boxes ticked and we've got the right ratio of this. Um, and I just kind of wanted to demystify that a little bit um, because it's, it's exactly that. It's about fair and treat, uh, decent treatment for all people. And actually, I think, you know, the demographics within prison is changing so much. What do you mean by that? So we have a, a we ha a, the, there's an increase in BAME population within okay. the, the, the prison estate, which is higher than the the working population of BAME. Mm. So it's around about thirty percent now in prisons, and the working population nationally of BAME people is about fourteen percent. Well, at the last census, so that was a twenty wow. twenty eleven mm -hmm. twenty yeah twenty eleven. Uh, so we've got another census coming up, so it'll be interesting to see how that changes. We have to understand there's a cultural difference. So there's got to be uh, that cultural awareness so that we can, we can meet people where they're at. So, for example, if you came to my house, you might think we're all having an argument because we can get a bit rowdy. But actually, that's just our way of communicating. So you can imagine that in a, in a prison setting. Um, you'd see a group of lads and they might be a bit loud. And a right. Bit, and it could be deemed to be because it's not part of your culture you're not mm. going to necessarily understand it I mean that's just one example um, you know we have a we have a growing transgender po um, population within the, the, the prison estate um, as we do in, in, in all in all walks of life so it's how do we evolve and and um, and not just react to there's a change right? right we need to react to it but actually understand 
uh, what's going on in the wider community also impacts what goes on in, in, in custody. Yeah, so with that, you're saying that we have to evolve. And is that kind of like a holistic approach where it's not only the, the people who work at the prisons, but the prisoners themselves? Like, is there a sort of cultural education thing? Like, how, how are you going think, about that? I think, I think so, it, so I cover prisoners, um, people on probation and staff. Um, to ensure that, you know, there's a fair treatment of staff as well. Mm. And I think if you look at any organisation, um, there is a disparity in outcome for BAME and disabled staff. Mm. Um, so if you look to any statistics, and you'll always see that, you know, there's a lack of diversity at senior levels, there's uh, you know, minimal uh, uh, diversity at board levels. Um, so there's an education across the board, but more so it's with, it's with staff because... The people that we work with are people who are in, in our care. And so we have a duty of care to be able to get the most out of them um, while they're in our care. Um, and, and, and actually, if we don't understand where those people are coming from, then that puts barriers up. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's really interesting, the way you just said that, um, that they're in our care. I guess... That's not how, yeah, no, I'm not arguing it. I've just never thought about it in that way. And I think it's just because, firstly, I have, like, no connection to the prison system, for, like, fortunately or unfortunately. Um, and I've also spent quite a bit of time in the States. So what you do here or the perception of it is, you know, a, a care is not a word that comes to mind. Yeah. So I'm curious as to what that means. Yeah. I mean, people are in custody for all different types of reasons. Um, I used to work in Holloway Prison as well before it closed down, which is quite close to here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and what I found when I was there is that, you know, statistically, uh, women who commit offences have been victims. Mm. And so the work that you're going to do, I think, you know, from some streams may be that, you know, it's about punishing them, they've committed a crime. Yes, they are being punished. They, they, are, they, they you know, their freedom has been taken away. But actually, how do we make them um, better contributors to society? You know, and, and, and actually, you know, for some who haven't received care or actually just need that work done on them so that, you know, any kind of trauma they've experienced... Um, any pain that they've had, you know, a lot of women um, in prisons have been victims of domestic violence. Um, and so those healing things all have to take place for them then to be, you know, kind of rounded and whole. Mm. And so that's a caring thing to do that. And, and, and in that, of course, obviously, you know, people are locked up at a certain time and they're fed. But even the fact that you're feeding people and you, you know, even if it was just that, there needs to be a little of care in that. Yeah. So I find it that that is a... Uh, and there's, there was also some debate about, you know, the terminology of, of how you label people who have committed offences. Mm. So there's, um, you know, offenders. Well, actually, I think we're all offenders. You know, if you've, if you've broken the speed limit, you're an offender. Mm. So do we all have that label? Um, or, or are they service users? Service users? What yeah. does that mean? So generally... Third sector organisations, um, like historically, would call people that they worked with their service users. Okay. Um, and I think that that's been more widely used mm. um, in 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 prisons and in probation. Um, they're, they're, you know, they're still labelled prisoners by some, um, but I just prefer to call them service users. And and I guess that is talking about specifically the context of being in prison. Mm. I was just thinking, like labels like criminal, like. Yeah. Where is that? I, I, don't, I don't know if that word is been batted about. I think mm. that's more American. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not something that you'd hear regularly. Offender is, okay. is, is something that you would hear more regularly. Um, and prisoners. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and then more kind of, uh, I think, forward-thinking people would say service users. Interesting. And what about when you're saying, so they, they come into the system and there is um, that level of care in whatever, I guess, need they have. How would you sort of determine the success of the system when they go out, go back out into society? I just think there's lots of factors. I don't think it can just be about 
I mean, you could do a lot of rehabilitative work with somebody whilst they're in custody, i.e. education, um, some sort of um, qualification, uh, some sort of uh, apprenticeship training, so they've got a skill to mm. come out, uh, work on, you know, um, anger management or, or whatever the, the, their, their crime is. There's lots of um, accredited programmes that run in custody that are linked to uh, um, their offending mm -hmm. or their criminogenic need. Um, and that can include um, CBT type work. And they could be ready. But actually, they've got to come out into a society mm. that there's no housing. Um, they're, they're labelled. I mean, even if they got over that barrier and they was able to find work, to find housing is, is really, really difficult. And I think those things that, that, they, that they all... Housing, education, employment, um, family circumstances, what are they going mm. back to? Are they going to be moved straight back into the area where they're surrounded by the people they were offending with? Um, or are they going to be relocated? I mean, I know that in a lot of the young kind of, you know, gang-type members, don't like that term, but it is what it is. What it is. Um, I mean, I, th I feel like you could be set up to fail if you're going to be released straight yeah. back into the estate that, you know, even if you wanted to get away from that. Yeah. And what are their options in terms of trying to, to, to live anywhere else? Um, I think it's quite limited. There are lots of small organisations that do some really good work. Um, and I think the work that we're doing is trying to tap into that more um, to ensure that... Uh, but, but it's dependent on postcode or it's dependent on area right. in terms of who's providing what um, um, services. And, and I suppose the, the, the measure of the success is that they don't come back. Yeah. Um, and some, you know, if you get people at the right age, there's the kind of, you know, 25. If people are still offending at 25, you know, you want to kind of catch them then, really mm. put a lot of effort and work into them. Right. Relationships help change people's uh, um, behaviours. Yeah. So, you know, getting into a relationship having a child. Interesting. Some of those things are things that can that, that can help them to um, desist mm. and um, not reoffend. But yeah, our, our prison population and it's not, you know, it's 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 always in the news that it's it's growing. Yeah. It's growing and um, you know, changes in terms of what we hear in the media about sentences being uh, you know, made longer and you know, certain offences may not come out at the halfway mark and and the reason that, you know, if somebody receives a four-year sentence, they come out after two years, but they're on probation for two years. And I think people don't realise that, that actually work is still continuing with mm. them in the community. And actually, if they committed another offence whilst they were in the community, they're still on their um, custodial sentence, so they mm -hmm. would go back to prison. Right. So it's... Um, and even if the offence was minor, yeah, um, they can go back to prison. So... Um, for me, that's part of their rehabilitation of kind of reintegrating back into society is mm. allowing that time because then they're still being monitored in that period. Yeah. There isn't, I don't think, any kind of quick wins. Yeah. Um, in terms of... But for some people, I mean, my daughter works with gang members and um, she works really closely with them and their families and she sees a lot of positive change on the ground. See, I'm, I'm really quite far removed from right. seeing those changes. Um, and she gets to see a lot of those changes on the ground um, because she, she works for a, a small charity and they're able to invest a lot of time into individuals' lives. Mm. Um, and, a, and a lot of the, especially the young guys, they don't necessarily want to be in that, but there is, yeah. they have no other options. I'm going to jump a little bit now, but... I started an outreach for sex workers in East London. And I remember saying to a girl, if you could be anything you wanted to be, you know, like like pie-in-the-sky stuff, like whatever you want to be, you know, princess, you know, what would be your dream? And one of them said, I'd have a, I'd have a big house and I'd have a white picket fence. And this girl was trafficked. Mm. And she said, and I, would, and I would have lots of children and they would play in the yard. And the other girl said... I would be the best prostitute that I could be. And because she had seen nothing else, mm. for her, she was ambitious, she wanted more for herself, 
but the more that she wanted was to be the best in what she was doing. Mm. And that, for me, was so heartbreaking because she'd had no glimpse of anything else. Um, and it's like, well, why would she? Yeah. How could she dream? Those things are for TV. And then when you're having it drummed in, into your... I mean, for trafficked girls, it's, it's, it's a lot more... You know, there, there's a lot of brainwashing going on. You know, don't speak to people. The police just want to put you in prison. And, you know, they're, 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 there's all those kind of things that are put in their way um, just so that they remain with the traffickers and right. don't try to get away. Um, but I think I think that is just like the extreme example yeah. of why some people don't seek change. Yeah. Because it's something it's something that's so far out of reach for them. Why would you even try? Oh, it didn't even like cross their mind. Yeah. And so for for some people, it's about not even coming out of their postcode. Yeah, that's really interesting, especially in a place like London, it, where you assume or, you know, that, you know, it's so multicultural, you have access to all these things and you're you're just exposed to more stuff. And you, I mean, the assumption is that people are experiencing that because they're here, but then you have somebody who is here and in the heart of the city, but in a huge bubble. So I guess I'm curious with this woman who said that, what her experience is within London like is it so isolated like that you know she's not even exposed to stuff on the street or mm. newspapers like I, it's like something I just don't know anything about I think they are I think you know within somewhere like London there are numerous subcultures and within those subcultures they have their own worlds and they have their own rules um, and they have their own view of the world. So for her, she spent her whole life being taken from city to city. So she's never, ever put down roots anywhere. Mm. Um, she was sold as a child into a pickpocket ring from Romania. And then she was taken from place to place, that kind of Fagan-type saying, um, where there was loads of children in the house and they were sent out to go and shoplift, pickpocket, and bring the goods back to the house. And then when she was old enough, she was sold on again into prostitution. So she's not going to have any kind of view mm. on the world at all. It's just that the world is an opportunity. Um, so her mind is always thinking, what can I, what can I take from it? Mm. But not how can I partake in it, but what can I take from it? And always thinking that she's getting won over on other people mm. um, by doing that. I had a, this other guy has come to mind and he was a, when I was a probation officer, and uh, he was the most articulate guy, um, substance misuser. I had to go and interview him in the court cells. And I was just, I was thinking, this guy could have done anything, you know. He, And some of the things that he shared that was just so, that we so take for granted, like he says, I'd, he said, I've never been to the supermarket and done a food shop. And he was like four years old. He said, I see families with a trolley. He said, and I just watch them like, I've never done that. I've never, you know, I'd just go and pick up stuff or whatever and buy, you know, something to eat on the street. But as a family shop to fill your cupboards, something that so small to mm. us, he's never done it. Um, and I just mm. thought, I felt like his life had been stolen because he had so much potential and he had so much insight into stuff and he just reflected so much on, on life. And he, he said, you know, I'd get up. He said, and I'd look at people who got up and went to work thinking they were mugs, like he had life sussed. He was having fun, but he was getting up to make money to take drugs. Mm. He said, my cycle was that. He said, and you're walking and you're busy and you're hustling and you're ducking and diving. He said, and that was exciting. He said, I look at people like you and think, how dull, mm. you know, what kind of life do you have? He said, and now I'm so envious of that mm. because my life has been like a groundhog day for 20 years. And I look back and, and think I've accomplished nothing. Yeah. And that I, I actually left that interview and cried all the way back to my office. And I said to my manager at the time, I don't know if I can do this job anymore, like, People's lives are just... And I can't help him. I don't mm. know how to help him. And he'll probably try to rip me off as well. But I just wanted to give him a... You know, like, send him on holiday or something. Yeah. Just to 
see another part of the world like he'd never left this country. Yeah. And just to think, to want more for yourself, you know. That, that's, I think, my kind of ultimate thing is for people to want more for themselves. And if you're content, you know, that's okay. But also know that that doesn't have to be your kind of, you know, your destination. Yeah, there is kind of a hope for a future. Yeah. Um, and that's, 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 I think that's probably why I got involved in the charities that I, that I started. Because it's about just giving that people that, that, that thing of hope. And it stemmed probably from the time when I was a probation officer. Right. Because I could see, you know, some, some of the stories that came in. And, you know, if you saw your mum injecting heroin, that's your norm. Um, so why would you not go down the criminal route? Mm. Um, and, you know, everybody around you is living that life. Why would you not do that? And it's just to kind of, you know, open the, open the curtains a bit yeah. to them to say, look, that's outside. Yeah. There's that. You know, and saying to a drug dealer, actually, you're really entrepreneurial. Like, you could run a business. You are running a business. And just to kind of, you know, mm. you have real transferable skills that could be shifted into something mm. that's legal where you don't have to look over your shoulder, where you don't have to worry that the police are going to come and confiscate everything. Mm-hmm. This is really interesting because, I mean, I was talking about this with my husband the other day um, around everybody has a choice. There's always choices available to you, but the, the choice you choose is dependent on a lot of factors. And if we're kind of looking at it at this sort of like, you know, the um, hierarchy of needs where you have your basic needs met and stuff yeah. like that. So if you're in a place where you, your basic needs aren't met, that's the priority. So you yeah. make certain decisions based on that. And I guess so tied to this, like you were saying, people kind of coming out of the system, but they may be going back to the neighborhood they were, they were in with the people they were in and, and that kind of stuff. So very difficult to make different decisions or choices when you're you're kind of surrounded by the same things all the time but I guess what I'm asking is what what do you think needs to happen for somebody to be able to make a different choice and I think one thing we're kind of tapping into is this awareness that there are other things but the thing that we were talking about the other day is that almost like there needs to be somebody there like a support of some sort because to do something where you're kind of going into the unknown, where there's nobody there, it seems like success could be quite difficult. But just knowing that there is one person that you can go to that could be that basically that step out. So I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on, on that. I, I definitely think that that is needed. Um, and I think what I was saying earlier in terms of those small organisations who get really involved in people's lives and actually, you know, don't have massive caseloads or targets or whatever, but actually investing in individuals. Um, and there are probation officers that do that. And, you know, and I know that I did that in people's lives, that you are a kind of stepping stone. But it's not just about one person. There needs to be somebody else that's going to be at the next junction mm-hmm. who's going to, you know, and then at the next junction, so even once they're settled, there needs to be a new community that they find. And in that needs to be somebody or people who are going to help support. Um, so, yeah, I just, I, I, I feel like there's like, to, to, to help people to move along, there's links in chains. And that's not just, and I think that that's not even just in, in, in people who um, have a life of, of where they offend or, or, or commit crime. I think that's in everything. So people who are trying to progress in their career or people who, you know, are starting a family. There's always some, there's people that we need. We need people. It's like that kind of village thing um, in terms of supporting to get you. I'm throughout my career that I've always had sponsors who have encouraged me to apply for the next thing or or open doors for me or there's always been a person. And um, and I think that, um, yeah, in, in, in whatever circumstance you are, I think that we all need that kind of yeah. help up. I wonder how many people do have that within like that community that they've grown up in and you know maybe are again have come out of the system or something but don't take advantage of it like I'm just curious as to like how much of it is there 
uh, it's a question for me who doesn't know anything about this, how much is available to them that they're not taking advantage of or really how limited is it? Well, I, 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 I think that the help is there. It, everything's got a line at the same time. So, the per so you've got somebody who's helping to support. That's helping fill out forms and, you know, directing them to a college or, or, or just, just sitting down encouraging them. But then if they don't have housing or if they don't get that college place or if they don't get that job, so there's other factors that are outside of that relationship with that individual, can actually make somebody go, it's not for me, actually, it's not going to work, that was a pipe dream. Mm. And then they just retract right. and step back. Um, so it's a, it's, it, is a, it is a bit more difficult than, you know, me, me getting a promotion. Um, but with that, it's like kind of like, you know, the heavens have to align <laughs> for, for, for an individual to actually. And, you know, and I've seen people who have really strived um, and, and have wanted to move to another city. So they can, you know, and then they've been rejected there and they've had to come back. So with all the support in the world from any individual that person still has to go back. Mm. Their chances then are minimal. Yeah. Their chances are minimal. Yeah, I guess it goes back to that sort of needs thing where, yeah, like you have this one thing you want to do, but yeah, if you don't have housing, yeah. Yeah, like you're battling the all these other things. Yeah. Right, it's not like you're lining up for that probation where if I don't get it, well, not, nothing else changes. Yes, yes, right. yes, right. exactly. Like, if I don't get it, I'm not going to lose my job yeah. and then be homeless. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, 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 um, uh, it, it's, uh, it's not easy. It's not easy. And I do think that there is a massive divide in understanding. We look at the outputs. We look at the, the harm the individual has caused. But if we don't start dealing with the root causes and getting to the crux of that, then we're just going to continue to punish people. Yeah without actually healing society or making things better. Right. Um, you know. I think, yeah, that point you were making around looking at the individual and their output, I was thinking about that when you were talking about the woman who was trafficked and thinking of the trafficker, like, you know, it's all this interconnectedness and everybody's going through stuff. So, yeah, you can say that here's the victim and going through this, but is the trafficker a victim too with whatever they've gone through? Yeah, well, they do. I'm not sure, sure about that. I think there's a financial incentive. If you make more money from trafficking human beings than you do drugs. Right. And it's easier. It's less risky. But, I mean, but I'm just thinking, like, what kind of, per, like, yeah. what kind of person what, what has to be... Right, yeah. to, to yeah. think that that's their option. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and, and, and that was their... I suppose that very well could have been their way out. So they're... They didn't have to sell their children right. into pocket means if they've all come from the same community. With the charity work that you're doing, is this the um, women on the front line? Yeah, that's women on the front line. So I started to see girls. Actually, when my son was in, uh, in primary school, I remember seeing a prostitute at the end of the road. And she must have just been finishing up, uh, worked through the night and... What they tend to do is, if they're still working by the morning, is to get the last bit of money so that they can buy drugs for when they wake up. Okay. So they'll have something when they wake up. And I remember seeing her, and I just was so disgusted. I was like, these are children, and you are here. Like, this is... I wasn't very nice to her. And then a few years later, I just started to grow this compassion, thinking, my goodness, you know, how awful must that be? And I moved a bit, bit to the outskirts of London. I attend a church there. And the, along this road was a, I'd see girls out there. And I'm like, we need to do something. Like, we should be doing something to help these girls. And I was so naive. I went out the clipboard. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> me and a friend went out with a clipboard. And, you know, I'd been a probation officer, so I wasn't that. But I was just like, no, you know, we're going we're gonna to treat them like you know, <laughs> human beings. We're going to ask them what they need. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Two bags of coffee. <laughs> like, how can we help you? That was just that. Yeah, that didn't last. I think we went out twice and then... Um, and then I just thought, do you know what, actually? When you study them, um, 
everybody just wants something from them. Mm. So men want to have sex with them. Their pimps want their money if they have a pimp. Not all, not all uh, sex workers have, have pimps. Um, drug dealers want their money. You know, there's nobody giving to them. There's nobody who pours any love or anything into them. So I just started going out. I used to go out with a, 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 a charity in Whitechapel and feed the homeless. I did that for years. And I noticed that not a lot of women used to get on the bus, like, to, to have tea and coffee. And when I used to go out on the streets and ask them, they said, well, I've been raped by him. Mm. He's punched me in the face. He owes me money. He owes me money. I'm not speaking to him. So that, it, it was a... It was a so I said, actually, I need to do something for just for women. So we just started making up little kind of food parcels and a uh, flask of coffee and just going out at 11 o'clock at night mm. um, on this street where we knew they were and just going up and chatting to them. Do you want a cup of coffee? It's a bit cold. Um, and then getting to know them. Um, then we had to get kind of jackets made with our... had to make up a, a group name because uh, men were approaching us thinking we were out working. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, we just did that for a few years. And then it was, actually, let's take this to the next stage, really, because we need to be able to uh, provide practical support to them. So, yeah, we just kind of researched all the local agencies, uh, you know, um, um, any rehabs or organisations that actually, for girls that are traffic, can help them come off the streets. So um, the Salvation Army had the contract for uh, girls to come off the streets with the mm. Ministry of Justice. So um, they will help a girl escape and relocate and, and whatever. So, you know, I did lots of research into to, to who could provide support to the girls. And then um, I did initially make up some pamphlets, but then found they couldn't put them on them because mm. if they were trafficked, right. they would, yeah. They couldn't take anything off of us. So I would do stuff like make small strip notes or um, something that they could conceal that would have details for any organisation that they were interested in. Mm. Yeah, so, um, and then formed a charity uh, and then working with uh, the police, um, the local authority, and now form part of, like, a consortium of people who um, who who want to support the girls mm -hmm. and also target the men. Because actually, you know, if the men didn't keep didn't use prostitutes, right. then we wouldn't we wouldn't have the problem. Um, but because in my work, um, I've become a lot more busier. Um, I'm not able to go out on the streets anymore. But I um, so I chair that charity, mm -hmm. and that's been going for about nine years. Wow! So we speak to hundreds of girls every year. Um, but it is the least glamorous. Sure. Um, in terms of trying to raise money, people are not interested. Right. Are, you know, um, I have another non-profit that provides girls with reusable sanitary products. Um, in, in, well, I was in Kenya a couple of years ago and we helped 200 girls there. Um, and raising money for that was so easy. Hmm. It was so easy. And I don't know if it's because people feel like, you know, I'm helping them in Africa. Do you know what I mean? Right. That kind of... I am the saviour that's going to come and help yeah, that's them. that's really interesting. Yeah, but if you you know, I could go back the next week to a, an event to speak, to raise money for uh, the outreach, and it would be, if I got £100, I'd be... Wow. Yeah, it's really difficult. It's really difficult. Do any of the girls, um, have they sort of switched into sort of more support roles no, um, it, and that's another thing it's quite frustrating because like after the first four years I didn't see one girl change and I was like this is why am I doing this mm. and then I just got a sense about it's not about me it's not about me being able to have some data to say I have changed five lives this year or ten right. lives it's not about that it's actually about seeds I feel like like we were talking earlier on, that everybody needs a person. So you plant a seed of hope and then somebody else comes along and waters that seed. So if, if none of us do that in people's lives, then actually there'll be no hope. Um, so it's just being able to provide them a glimmer of hope. Mm -hmm. um, that's, my, that's my goal. Um, so, yes, there have been girls, because um, we also have a drop-in once a week. And that's another thing. You, you don't necessarily 
know the outcomes because it's not something people are going to openly talk about. Yeah. Um, especially if they've turned their life around. They're not going to come back and say, I've come out of prostitution uh, because yeah. that's something they want to forget. Yeah, go back to that yeah. place where it was. Yeah. So we had, yeah, actually we had one, one woman. She, she was one of our trustees for a while. She, um, and she, she was, she, she, she came through the, came through the, um, the average. Mm. So we do have, and we relocate, but then we don't know what happens to sure. them once they, once they move on. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Like you said, yeah, it's not about the numbers and you might not be getting paid for it, <laughs> but it's just something that like, you know, I don't even know what I'm saying. It's like, you have to do these things because who else will do it? And then there's this flip side of like, yeah, we, you know, sit in our lovely homes and watch Netflix and yeah, it's just like, but I still do that. You know, right. I still, I still do that. I, you know, I have, I have, I have a nice life. Um, there's a, there's a kind of saying, you're blessed to be a blessing. Mm. So, um, and, and not everybody's built the same way. So, you know, I have, I have uh, friends who'd be like, you know, so, you do so much. Um, it's because I see a need and I think there's got to be a solution. Like, what can, what, how can we solve this? And I'm a real kind of solution, outcome-focused person. Um, so I do what I can. But then others just do small things mm. and, and all those small things just add up. And it's not, that's, that's kind of minimising it. There are no small things. I think doing something... Um, is uh, it's a ripple effect. Yeah, totally. And we're links in a chain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if we become completely self-centred and focused, then actually you could be the link to... You could be that next step in someone's life to yeah. turn their life around. Or, or you know, the elderly neighbour who actually has to choose between eating and their heating, mm. you know... Um, and, but I, I, I have to kind of close my mind to those things because then yeah. I think, right, okay, I need to leave a bag of shopping right. outside that woman's house yeah. because she, I don't think she has a lot of money, you know, uh, because then the world's problems just... Well, exactly. And then it's like <laughs> yeah, an existential yeah. crisis where you're like paralysed by it all. <laughs> yeah, I can't leave the house yeah. if I see anything. No, I, 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 I was becoming like that, but I've kind of just said, no, you yeah. just need to focus. Like, so my job... Um, I got so excited about it when I was asked to go for the job. Um, well, at first I wasn't because I thought it was a tip box thing. But then when I thought about it and I was like, well, we like have like, I don't know, around 50,000 staff and yeah. 80,000 people in prison and however many thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in the community. And actually I could have an impact. You know, I could steer some things here um, to help impact and make some people's lives better mm-hmm. um and and that's exciting that's really exciting that excites me what about like, what you were just saying around um seeing the purpose and being able to have an impact what about that have you heard of that saying um you can't change can't change the system the system changes you no. maybe it's an american thing it definitely <laughs> comes from my husband <laughs> but this idea of like when you are in this big system like the political system or the prison system, this beast um, where people do go in going with great intentions, well, I'm going to change this and then ultimately it sort of knocks them down. And, you know, we're in this crazy place politically where I feel like I'm between this, no, there's still hope and we can change things to... I don't know if that's possible, and it's just this weird spiral, and I don't know where it's going. I I, I think we don't have control over that. We can only do what we have control over. Mm. You know? So, like, you can look at the bigger picture and what's going on in the world and think, we must just all just pack up and go and live on an island and grow your own veg and have some chickens. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Plan B. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. let's just do that. Um, And I have said that. Uh, but in in what I'm doing, if I can if I can help make somebody's life a bit easier, then that's that's okay. But if everybody if everybody thought, what can I do to be a link in someone's chain? You know, mm-hmm. I think 
I just don't think we can rely on the system yeah. to fix it. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, we can't look to the system. Yeah, I think it's it's that thing. Yeah, what can I? What do I have control over? What can I change? And then the the other thing I was thinking about that is, you know, when your friends were saying, you know, you do so much, where it's like nothing's constant. Uh, or nothing's the same forever. So if, even if you've spent 40 years of your life not doing anything, yeah. it doesn't mean the next 40 years will be I, the same. I don't plan too far ahead. Um, and I've never been kind of ambitious career-wise. Uh, oh, just the head of diversity. <laughs> yeah, it's no big deal. <laughs> well, well, it just, I think, I don't know. It just, it kind of, um, I've never had a grand plan. You know, I was a probation officer. An opportunity came up in your head office, so I thought, okay, I'll do that. And then they, you know, there was a whole kind of privatisation of probation, and they said, oh, we'd like you to help manage one of the contracts. Okay. And then, okay, we'd like you to run that contract, uh, which was insane because women don't tend to mm. manage contracts of that size. It was a £1 billion pound contract. Wow. Uh, let alone a Bain woman. We've never managed a contract before. <laughs> yeah, what? Who allowed this to happen? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, but it's because of the, I suppose, my work ethic, and then I'm, I'm kind of seen, and then people say, oh, you'd be great doing this. And doors kind of open based on um, uh, my output, what people can see. Yeah, and I was going to say, and also the fact that you, you know, being a probation officer and with the charity work, being very much face-to-face -face with people and having that understanding yeah. and background, not somebody who's always kind of been in the office. Yeah, yeah, so where I am now, so, you know, you're either operational or your policy. And uh, right now I don't feel like I'm either. I suppose I'm supposed to be policy. Mm -hmm. um, but I do understand that, at the policies that we write impact people on the front line and impact lives on the front yeah. line. So actually it's through that lens that we try to uh, form the policies and, and, the, and, the, and, and, and the guidance to assist to ensure that people, it's not something that just stays on the shelf, it's actually something that people can, yeah. can embed. And, and, and it's about, <clears throat> part of my role is about, and I, and I really believe that people are getting it, they're starting to get it. It's not a tick box. It's not this scary thing of what's DNI or what's the qualities. It's you know, it's it's understanding difference and appreciating difference and embracing difference, mm. um, and celebrating difference um, instead of being fearful of it because we can be fearful of you know what we what we don't know. Totally. That's where our biases come in, and then you've got this whole kind of issue with unconscious bias yeah. and people not being able to progress again because of our unconscious biases which are um, I find fascinating yeah. I, I, I am, I'm fascinated by them I, I had a um, we have to do them, these tests and my bias came out against black women, the test is wrong how can, how can that be, have you looked at me like mm. and then she said who have you seen like when you, when you were growing up, what black women did you aspire to be? She said, okay, so how many successful black women did you know? Or, or you know, in the media or whatever. You know, everyone always goes to Oprah. And more recently, Michelle Obama. Um, she said, why would you not have a bias? And I'm like, if I have one, then people who do not look like me are definitely going to have yeah. one. So I kind of share that story with, with staffing groups to say, it's okay, let's just be honest. Because if we're not honest about that, how are you going to address it and how are we going to change it? Yeah. You know, so now I'm conscious of that. And so I ensure that, you know, in interviews or, 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 or speaking to people that I kind of switch that and be very conscious of that. Yeah. Um, and actually switch it to say... Let's just see what potential this individual's got and actually what can they... Because if we're looking at, you know, diversity, that's diversity of thought, that's diversity of, you know, we, we need that. We need that um, mm. to be the best teams or to be the best organisation. Yeah. You need to have that kind of diverse um, 
approach. Yeah, and it comes back to what we were saying earlier around awareness, where you can't make different decisions if you're not aware. Yeah. And that's all, I mean, that's really what a lot of this stuff comes down to is, I think, being open to just knowing you know very little about everything. Yes. Just having that assumption, you know nothing, <laughs> into whatever you encounter, yeah. and then that just allows you to question, well, what else is there, or yeah. what, what else could there be, rather than, like, well, this is it, and this is yeah. what I'm doing, and that's... But that's yeah. comfortable, though, isn't it? Yeah. That's a comfy place to, to, to go, okay, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm a big fish in a very small pond, and I, you know, I know every nook and cranny of this. And actually... Yeah. And that's why I say it's okay if some people are content with where they're at, as long as it doesn't impact on other people negatively, mm. as long as your decisions are not going to negatively impact yeah. on somebody else. One of the last things that we usually end on, and I think this is like a really nice kind of point to wrap up with, um, is this piece of advice, like what piece of advice have you heard or given? And I think so much of what you've said today, um, there's just nuggets throughout that. Is there anything else that comes in mind or maybe something that stood out to you when you were growing up as a piece of wisdom or something that you aligned with? Hmm. If somebody sees something in you that you don't see, I think believe them. If it's a trusting space and if you hear it from more than one person. And I think sometimes we have this imposter syndrome. Well, not sometimes. <laughs> we all have it and we can have it a lot. And then someone says, you could actually do that. And you're like, there's no bloody way, like that's not gonna happen. And then someone else says it. And then it's about, okay, stepping out the boat. So this kind of religious context. You step out of the boat to see if you'll sink. Mm. And it's about, you know, if people see stuff in you that you don't see, sometimes there's this kind of blind faith and you just take that step. And especially if you don't have much to lose. You know, just take the step yeah. and just see where those steps take you. Um, because if you don't, then you're never going to move. You'll stay where you are, where you are, and, and probably not fulfilled because there's more in you. There's mm. more in all of us, more than we know. Um, yeah. I think that's great. That's a great little nugget to wrap up on. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Do you have any sort of last bits? What about just a thought on the discussion? Anything that comes to mind? Interesting. It's not what I thought it was going to be. Okay. <laughs> As you said. I hope that's not negative. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. As in, you know, it could go anywhere. Um, uh, yeah, no, it was, it, it, it's, 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 a, it's a nice way just to have a conversation to talk about our, our probably cringe listening. <laughs> Why did I say that? But um, no, it was good. Great. Thank you. Thank you. No, I appreciate it.